Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. Oh, my dear friends, there are some Seek Reality guests who are special favorites of mine. And, you know, both because of the work they do and because of the wonderful people they are. And one of them is our special guest today. Father Nathan Castle is with us for the fifth time. Nathan is a Catholic Dominican priest who helps stuck souls to cross over. He calls it the interrupted death experience. And I first learned about it just a few years ago. I thought I had seen everything by then. I think it was just 2019 when I first heard about him. I actually learned something new under the sun when I was already old. We knew all about people who are distracted in the process of dying and they focus on their loved ones around the deathbed so their energy vibration lowers so much that they can't follow their loved ones who have come to take them home. We call those guides their deathbed visitors. So then those newly dead folks become what we call <laughs> conventional ghosts and generally they just go back to their old routines in the same places and maybe for centuries. My family lived for 20 years in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and if you want to see a place that's full of old haunted houses, Plymouth, Massachusetts is a pretty good place to find a whole lot of old haunted houses. If you see a ghost there, sometimes it'll walk right through a wall because there was a door there back in, you know, the 1600s or the 1700s, and that old lady died back then, and she still tends to you know, walk through a wall. There was a door way back then, and she's tending a hearth there, which basically is a wall now, but back then it was a hearth. The people that our wonderful friend Father Nathan rescues, though, often aren't ghosts in that traditional sense. Our great friend Mikey Morgan, who incidentally is going to be our guest again next week, has estimated that more than a quarter, between a quarter and a third of those who die on earth today don't transition to the afterlife right away, and some of them aren't just distracted, but they don't complete their journeys at first and for a variety of reasons. Some of them are the very people that our friend Father Nathan and his helpers are assisting now in completing their journeys to the next stage of life, and some of the stories that Father Nathan tells are going to touch your heart. Father Nathan, welcome. I'm so happy you're with us again. It's always to be good to be around an old friend, even if it's on Zoom. <laughs> even if it's on Zoom. Well, a big virtual hug to you, my dear. Right back at you. <laughs> Father Nathan has been a Catholic Dominican priest for four decades, I think it is. Yeah, well, I've been a Dominican 42, and my um, I'll be a priest 37 in June. Wow. He lives and works in a community, is this still true, of Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson? Yeah, that's true. There are uh, three sisters and uh, four priests. Wow. 
His two books are called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls to Cross Over. And the second, he has the same title, but it's called just book two. Very arresting cover, a lot of hands on it. It's, it's quite a beautiful book. And the book itself is so much fun to read. I love it. Nowadays, if you're going to write a book, give it an arresting cover and make it one you can't put down. And his books both read like that. They read like candy. He's been doing amazing work for a class of dead folks who desperately need his help. And he's been doing this work for more than 20 years. Some of these, some people haven't heard these, these stories before. So just very briefly, tell us a little bit about this past that you have. I mean, what got you started doing this work? Well, as a little Catholic boy, I was taught by uh, my dad's two siblings, both became Dominican nuns and first grade teachers. So I had that and my mom and my dad and my grandmother who was a mystic next door. Uh, I had all these adults teaching me not just about the rules and regulations of an organized religion, but spiritual practice and how to relate to the saints and the souls. One of the things that I learned or was taught was that uh, when people die, we pray for them for whatever they need. We don't necessarily know specifically what they need, but we can like send them prayer energy. Uh, I, eventually I started thinking of it as like money. You know, I can, I don't know what you're yeah. going to do, with it, but you're going to spend it on, but here I want to help. <laughs> right. So I was doing that as a little child. And I was also taught, uh, there was a kind of an idea of there being something like an international boundary between purgatory and heaven, you know, a crossing. And if you could help somebody, if yours was the prayer that helped somebody cross the border, you'd have a friend in heaven and uh, for all eternity. So I was very busy as a little boy praying for the people in line in purgatory. I, I imagine them being like the way that when you go to the bank, they anticipate they're going to make you wait. You know, bank lobbies have those zigzaggedy ropes that make you go up and down like at an amusement park until it's your turn. And I just thought it must be like that. So I, I prayed that people could cut in the line. I, I, my prayer would advance them. And uh, so I was very busy doing that all the way back. Oh, to childhood. That's adorable, actually. Well, it was just what I did. I, I, I would fall asleep that way and I would pray. And I, we got a, both a morning and an evening newspaper and they both had an obituary page with a photo of somebody that died the day before. And it said at the bottom what church their service was going to be at. And I looked for the non-Catholics because I figured the Catholics would know to pray for their dead, but the Protestants wouldn't. And so I was praying for the Baptists. Anybody... <laughs> I just figured that, you know, that there, I wanted purgatory to have prompt customer service. And so I would just, I would talk to these people in my prayers and say, you know, I'll, I'll help you. Step you right were helping way. the Baptists? Aren't you wonderful? Yeah, well, I just, I just knew that we were, you know, that, that purgatory was a Catholic idea and that not every, you know, everybody believed in it. And so I just thought, okay, well, I'll pray for those. That's adorable. Isn't that sweet? Oh, well, that's so funny. And, and then, uh, later in my life, I, I was... didn't even know that there was this little Catholic boy who was helping them out. I, I just love that so much. Yeah, I just I, I, um, I just figured it would be sad if you got there. And nobody wants to wait in a line, especially for something as important as getting into heaven. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just would try to help the line move faster. Oh, aren't you? Oh, so you've always been doing these wonderful things. All the way back to like five years old or four years old, something like that. 
that's wonderful. Okay, so then you decided that you were going to be a priest. What well, yeah. you used to be a Dominican? I wonder about that. How do how do people choose which order they're going to they're going to they're going to go into? There were so many. The basic decision is: Do you want to be a priest in a diocese? Now you live in Austin, right? Right. Texas. Right. If you can imagine the scale of the state of Texas, it's divided into twelve dioceses, and so. Um, if you join a diocese, you stay in that region for your whole life. And oh. I was I was from Southeast Texas, from Beaumont, the diocese of Beaumont, uh, east of Houston. And I just knew I didn't want to spend my whole life in one place. So I ruled out dioceses. Then I looked at orders. Some of them are missionary. And my mom, that was the only thing she insisted on. Please don't be a missionary. No. <laughs> okay, well, I don't even have a gift for languages. And I don't really need to go to a faraway place to serve Jesus. So I can do that right close by. Yes, uh, plenty of people right where you are. Right? I made a rule that if, I, if I'd been Catholic all my life at that point, and I decided if I've never heard of you, I'm not joining you. That was one way <laughs> to eliminate a lot of people. And then uh, the Jesuits make most of their guys get PhDs, and I just didn't want one. I wanted a more general education. I didn't want the very highly specific education that comes with writing a PhD dissertation. Wow. Um, the Franciscans seemed a little too flighty for me, just a little too poetic uh, by temperament. Uh-huh. And uh, when I learned that Dominic was called the Joyful Friar, I thought that's where my search ends. I want to be a Joyful Friar. So <laughs> that's, I chose. Them. And, and the, it, the Dominicans are mostly about the gospel uh, and, and Jesus. And I just thought, well, those will never go out of fashion. The, the, the gospel is always good. time, be. right? Good, good choice. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, I've been very happy in, in this choice all those years ago. Yeah. Oh, that, but that, I, I can't get over the little boy praying, praying for the Baptists. <laughs> oh, I love that story. That's I always do that. And I'd be falling asleep doing it. Um, but then at, later in my life, uh, you know, when, when we get into the topic of the, of the books that I've written and the, and the crossing work that I do as an adult, uh, I started having dreams that were not uh, my own psychobabble. They were re- received stories Uh I have a dream about my own stuff. I receive a dream about somebody else's stuff. And I started having these dreams that were people showing me uh, their violent death. And they were buffered so that I wasn't waking up terrorized, but still the content was car crashes and shootings and stabbings and drownings and all that. And uh, so one thing led to another and I just learned that there was a, a little niche ministry of helping people move from one level of the afterlife to a next that I can help with. Well, okay, well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, so you, you began to receive these dreams and they were coming. It, it seems to me that they were coming probably from the guides of people who had had these violent deaths, that the, the guides were showing you, uh, I'm I, someone that I have that I guide and and love had this violent death is now and is now kind of out of order, out of place here. Where this was an unexpected death, this person is is now out of place in in reality and needs your help to finish the transition that 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 was supposed to happen, but but kind of didn't happen. We know that people. Have a people are people plan their transitions, but if there's an accident or or a 
or, or they're shot or something happens that, that makes their body die, but sometimes they don't complete the transition to the afterlife as they should. And that's what happened to these people, right? Well, um, what I just kind of took, took them one at a time. They come about once a week. Uh, once a week four, is really a lot. Yeah, um, I've gotten used to it. I just make room in my, uh, my, it's part of my ministry. And I do a lot of other things besides this, although this is the one that I talk about on podcasts most. But, I, you know, I, I teach scripture and I counsel and do, you know, for years and years, I ran staffs and campus ministries and, you know, a very busy life. But in the middle of it, about 25 years ago, I received a dream in the night of a, of a man that was burning to death on the engine of a car. Uh, we've oh. talked about him, Ray, in previous, I don't want to repeat that story because we've told it before. Uh -huh. But uh, but what I learned was that there is, for, for some people that have particularly traumatic, sudden, unexpected deaths, there's, a, there's an afterlife frequency or realm that is therapeutic and it has everything that they need to get their bearings, to sleep, to calm down, to do some counseling, um, to, to orient themselves to what they might do next when they're ready to move. Yeah. And my prayer partners and I are like the, the, um, the staff at a hospital that uh, makes sure that you know what you are doing on the day you leave the hospital. You know, yes. your physical therapy, your drugs, uh, your ride home, your nutrition. So <laughs> yes. uh, th we're, that's kind of our job is to help these people that don't need this level of care anymore to really go into the adventure of the afterlife. They just weren't ready for all the possibilities and adventure that are involved in it. They needed to do some healing first. Yes. And and we, we, we do know that 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 kind of palliative care does exist for everyone who go, who dies damaged it, it's a it's a part of the standard process but people who are in this particular situation who have died basically not at a planned exit point um, end up exactly the way the way um, you you describe it um, this is this is this is perfectly normal but in this particular situation they need the added help that you are called upon to give them I I think this is just so amazing and wonderful what you talk about well, so so on, tell us more you have you have prayer partners people who obviously are psychic and I think you have psychic abilities too um, talk more about that well I, I've always believed that the that the Holy Spirit didn't create us just as individual cells, uh, but it created the universe that's that's interconnected, Absolutely. and that and that Absolutely. independence can get overblown. I kind of wish that that we celebrated Independence Day on July Fourth and Interdependence Day on the fifth, because I think <laughs> yes, I think they're equally important. They're just, you know, two sides of the same coin. Oh, well, yes. So to be interdependent, I, it just made sense to me that, that earth uh, helps heaven or however you want to think of it, that, that, that those alive here and those alive elsewhere, we're interconnected. But anyway, my prayer partners, they're not all Christian. Most of them are, but they need to be uh, good listeners. They need to be compassionate. They have to have some sort of spiritual practice and they mostly uh, just need to, and they need to be confidential and not amazed, uh, you know, and, oh, and blown over by anything. They need to have their head about them and do a job. 
and uh, so not be too, uh, I don't know, in awe of all of it, such that they're not that helpful. <laughs> they, they need to just be able to listen to somebody and offer yes. advice. So um, I have a lot of different prayer partners. During the pandemic, a lot of this work has shifted to Zoom because of how difficult it was for us to travel and be together and so on. But essentially, I get the story, I get the dream, I write it down, and then I make an appointment with prayer partners. I try to do two-hour blocks of time because we can usually uh, help with two crossings in that amount of time. They don't take long, about 40 minutes normally. Uh, and uh, we, we, uh, we go into protected prayer. I, I would never just dive into the spirit world unprotected uh, because I don't believe that everyone, every spiritual being has my um, best interest at heart. Very wise. Um, same as not picking up hitchhikers here. I don't pick up hitchhikers here or hereafter. Absolutely perfect. Yes. Not because I don't believe that everyone is well-made, but some people don't realize their goodness. And for, at least for a while, they're up to no good. So it's important to have a, you know, a protected spiritual practice at the beginning. But after we've done that with St. Michael, the Archangel and Holy Mary and Jesus and a number of other different ones, uh, I, I just read the story in prayer and uh, we sit still. I read it a second time, sort of once for the mind and once for the heart. And then when we were sufficiently focused and centered, I'll normally ask for uh, the guardian, the guide, I call him a guardian angel. Uh, would you mind giving us uh, uh, clarity or steering us in any direction that would be helpful? Uh, and so the guardian will often speak through me. I have that that gift. Um, I consider it a gift of prophecy because the prophets in the Old Testament you uh, allow their voices to be used by God to communicate an important idea. And so I believe it's a prophetic voice for Christian people that might think this is, uh, you know, dangerous or forbidden or something like prophecy is not forbidden. It's right, right. there in scriptures. Uh, and so I just allow my voice to be borrowed long enough for somebody to use it to tell their story. And so they'll move. And I, when I when I do that, the guardians are really sweet. And sometimes they're funny. Other times they're more, you know, on task. Um, I have a funny story. I haven't told you this one. Uh, <laughs> last summer, I was on vacation with my best friend, Richard, who's also a priest, retired priest. And we were, um, we, because I was, had such leisure we were in santa barbara at a rental uh airbnb thing and we were watching a lot of baseball i'm a houston astros fan and he's a boston red sox fan so i had mine on <laughs> there's war for you okay and he's on his bipad and and then on the big screen we were watching the little league world series you know 12 year olds playing baseball so uh, -huh. uh this one guardian uh he brought his person in the line and it was it was his turn there's sort of a line uh, an orderliness about it. And um, this guardian came through and, and said, well, we're happy to be with you. He said, we've come at a propitious time. When's the last time you used that word in a sentence? <laughs> yes. We came, we've come at a propitious time. Uh, the line is moving rather quickly because he has more leisure than normal and he's, he's uh, assisting uh, more people more frequently. So we were told that we don't need to go far away because our turn will come soon. So we've just chosen to stay here with these men and their dog. And uh, he said, these, these men, they watch baseball almost daily. 
uh, on the, they watch it on the little screens and they watch it. They watch adults on the small screens and they watch children on the big one on the wall. And but oh, almost daily. Yeah. And then he said, uh, we, we asked him his name or the person, my prayer partner said, can we have a name to call you by? And he said, here's what I'd like you to call me. Call me Jake, but not from State Farm. things that's funny is that these these spirit guides are very up on what we're doing and it always creeps me out a little bit when I realize that like they really know what we're up to well they don't call you to the bathroom of the bedroom they're they're not creepy that way but they uh, they aren't no it's not creepy that way but they are what they're very up on on like uh, what we're watching on tv or whatever it's they 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 don't read your mind either because that's rude but they they spend so much time around you that they can often guess at what you're thinking Yes. Um, but anyway, Jake, comes, <laughs> you want to be he, not from State Farm. And then he went on to say he explained the whole ad campaign. He said, now, Jake from State Farm, everyone he encounters is under the misapprehension that they are getting an, a, a, a rate better than anyone else can get. And he must disabuse them of this knowledge. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so funny. Hysterical. Uh, and he said, everyone he encounters thinks this, and he must disabuse them of this knowledge that no, you can buy this product because everybody gets this right. So anyway. It's hysterical. He watched a lot of baseball, and, and he said that, that it doesn't matter whether it's the children on the wall or the adults on the small screens. They're, they're, the game is interrupted at regular intervals by Jake oh. State Farm. But anyway. <laughs> I should just briefly inter- interrupt our little tales here by just telling everyone watching, everybody has a personal spirit guide. Just be aware, whether you know it or not. We That's all have our dear, and whatever his name is, it may not be Jake from State Farm, but everyone has your own personal spirit guide. With me, they I tend to, they tend to they choose like a nickname. What? They, I'm sorry. They, I interrupted you. I should be the one apologizing. They, they, when we ask their name, they don't give us a, a common name. They give us uh, some nickname that they'd like to go by. Yes, it's not their name. It's never their real name. That's true, also. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but they, but they do that routinely. And and then some of them are very businesslike. Uh, they're all always joyful because they've been working toward this day for a long time. Yes. And they're happy. It's like graduation day. Yes. Um, and they're very it, happy for the for the one they've been caring for. It, oh, it's yes. celebratory, and so they're but there's still work to be done, and so yeah. they don't stay on the line long. They clarify, for example, if a dream has a lot of people in it, because sometimes people die violently in scenes where others do too. Yes, and we need to know: are we helping one person or more than one? Um, sometimes the way they tell the story didn't make their gender clear, and so yeah. I don't know. I want to be sure of that. Uh, sometimes they're not in the U.S. And I, I just want to, I said, I feel like I'm in South America or maybe I'm in the Middle East. So sometimes just a few little orienting things. And then they say, now it's time for me to slide aside. We'll stay here with you in prayer. But the next voice that you'll hear is the one that I got guard and love. Oh, how beautiful. It is beautiful. <laughs> Oh, but I think that's funny. He's been so he's been waiting in line and watching what you were up to. Yeah, they, we didn't. Get so, <laughs> that's so funny. We just stayed and watched baseball. 
Oh my. Oh, don't you love though these devoted, devoted spirit guides? They're so, so careful of their charges and they love them so much. They are. And, it, and you know, death is so ecumenical. There's uh, everybody dies and we all, you know, regardless of what our cosmology is like, you, you mentioned um, that the, uh, we don't share exactly the same cosmology between us. Uh, and, uh, and the part about planning your death or whatever is not yeah. really my cosmology, but it doesn't need to be. I mean, I'm no, no, um, no. And in, in fact, I've been Protestant, I've been Catholic. And right now um, that it's, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's that's my religion. Um, well, and me too. I, I'm I'm I, I've always my, my, the province that I belong to is called the Holy Name of Jesus, and right. Jesus is uh, just the whole deal for me. That's, Jesus is pretty universal, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, but there is there the when 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 we study only the evidence that comes from talking to the people that we used to think were dead, it comes really quite, it's, it's quite consistent with what we learn uh, across studying all the evidence that comes from the people we used to think were dead, but it's not entirely consistent with what we learn um, purely from the dogmas of Christianity. It's, it's not that different though. Uh, in the end, it, it's, all, it's all pretty universal. And it's certainly very consistent with the teachings of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's, it's all one language in the end, isn't it? It's really not that different. Well, a lot of what has come down through the centuries in writing is the writings of theologians, people mm -hmm. who had experiences of spirit and God and Jesus, yeah. but, but who also had the academic training to speak in a theological language. And the thing that I enjoy about this is that once in a while I get a person like that, but I get lots of people from all different walks of life who are just describing their life and what happened to them, but don't have that kind of, you know, that theological background. They just use their own language to talk about what they've experienced. Right. right. Yeah. But all right. So, so, so what happens when these people, I mean, I've read your books, so um, I've, I've seen basically what happens. The loved ones, gather when they when they know that the person that they love is basically now being rescued they they gather right and then the person then sees his or her loved ones and and th they feel ready then to go but that's to often the way it works although uh, people can be so different and uh, some are not necessarily wanting to be reunited with loved ones per se, right out of the gate. You know, um, I had that story of uh, Eric alone with his thoughts. Do you remember that one? The young man who had finished an undergraduate degree and was going to start an, an X program, but it was in a gap year when he died. Do you remember that uh -huh. one? Uh -huh. um, and he knew he wanted a PhD because he was the only ch child of two PhDs. Um, but he, he didn't want some, what he called a clunky series of programs. You know? <laughs> But where you have to do two years of this and then uh, and then, you know, some years of that. And so he wanted something seamless and he hadn't found it yet. Uh, and it happened that he died uh, on, a, on a hiking trail of something like a landslide. Uh, yeah. And he died suddenly. Uh, and he he wasn't so much stuck is that he was just he was in a moment in his life where he hadn't yet decided what was next. And he moved with the same kind of consciousness into the afterlife, but he wasn't ready for a next thing. 
uh, he uh, was trying to get his bearings. And, and then when it came time for him to cross, rather than asking for loved ones, he said, did you say it could be anybody? And I said, well, they have to have died. Uh, <laughs> and and we, we don't summon, we only invite. You know, I'm not demanding that people stop what they're doing and come because I called, but, you know, we can ask. And he said, well, if that's the case, I want Albert Einstein. <laughs> not reaching high or anything. Well, you know, because he admired Einstein as the, the broad thinker, the universal thinker. You know, he was a physicist, yes, but he was a lot of other things, too. Absolutely. And, and um, he and he and he wasn't a, Eric wasn't a religious person, uh, but he said, you know, I liked the way some religious people thought. They at least asked important questions, and some philosophers asked those questions too. And then physicists asked some of them. He said, I, I hadn't, I wasn't ready to be in anybody's camp, but I, but but when it came time, he said, I want Albert Einstein, and so. Uh, Dr. Einstein showed up, but not, he said, oh, look at him. He's not that old guy with the shocking gray hair. He's the tweedy young professor, like just starting out. And he, he could be like an older brother, a really, really smart older brother who kind of would, could yeah. mentor him. So that's the way it turned out for Eric. He went off with young Einstein. That's the thing that surprises people. Everybody who has, who has crossed and completed the, the transition looks young because that's what people tend to want to look like when they have crossed. They tend well, to they don't, they don't have to. Recently, my sister told me that she, that our aunt Luella came for her, uh, but she looked like she did in a nursing home. And she asked her, why would you come like that? And she said, well, because that's the last way you saw me. And you yeah, were, that, oh, it's, it's, it's you your choice. Me. Some people do choose to look that way. Well, only, only temporarily, just to kind of establish themselves. And then they, yeah, most people want to look young. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I want to tell the story of Dwight though. I don't want to wait too long, but maybe maybe not yet. T tell a tell a young tell a story that we haven't heard yet, something recent. Mm. Um I'd have to be a little cagey about that because I I really only tell their stories a lot if they're um if they've given me their permission. And oh, so you, you haven't had a permission yet from somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of that as a summer project. <laughs> I have a <laughs> lot of stories and uh, I'm, I just got past Easter. We're recording this on the Tuesday after Easter. And right. so I'm, I'm now looking at uh, tilting towards summer. And without disclosing too much, there's one that I know that I want to deal with, who is a woman who was one of the very first women to get a PhD and she was on a faculty in the 1920s. And she, she avoided courtship and marriage because she didn't want to be dragged into what she feared might diminish her accomplishment. She, she didn't want to be a second fiddle to a man. Oh, that's so sad. Well, it's just, it was a choice that she made, a calculated choice. And she didn't regret it. She uh, she just uh, made that call, that decision. But she she uh, there was an, there was another guy on the faculty who w was also unmarried, and they were both now past middle aged, and they were good friends. And they were each other's escort when there was some academic thing that seemed to require a partner, yeah, a banquet or something. Uh, and 
so they were they were friends but they were not romantic friends they were they were each other's uh, escort once in a while and she began to move into dementia and oh. her whole life had been intellectual and she said she hadn't spent much time with kids with with her nieces and nephews and so on and it didn't feel fair to suddenly chum up to family members to take care of her now that she was old and needed help and so he he decided he would do that and they would be each other's late in life caregivers and then he up and died sudden death of a heart attack and she was kind of all alone and so she described what it was like to lose your mind to dementia after having made it the centerpiece of your whole way of being living um so I, I know that I want to get her permission to go into her story because she, in the afterlife, she didn't go from dementia to clarity in an instant. Um, she said, they brought me through a process to get me. She, I quit being the agent of my life because I couldn't make decisions anymore. And so other people had to decide for me. And then she said, after she left the body, um, they brought her through a process of gradually making decisions again until she was capable of being her own agent. Well, that's interesting um, because that seems to be, to happen sometimes. Um, many people are suddenly well and whole and healthy and happy um, after death. The, for other people who, who had um, dementia or some sort of a wasting illness. It seems to take three or four months, which is why we generally tell people don't attempt to contact people who have been ill for at least six months through a medium or whatever. And right. then it, it usually is fine. But um, but yeah, it can take longer for that to happen. It wasn't at all punitive. It was just, uh, it was a process. It, yeah, process. And what I've seen is that I'm part of a healthcare continuum. As I said earlier, we're at the far end of it. We're the discharge staff. But they very, they're, they'll very often reference, for example, somebody might have had an, an awful story to tell. And we need them only to touch upon it, not go into a lot of detail. And they'll say, it, it, used to, it used to be awful for me to even talk about this, but I've told it so many times now that it's fine. But they'll talk about being murdered or whatever it was yeah. that's so awful. And, and then later... Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have been through this process with lots of different helpers. And the part that we have is really just uh, really easy, just getting them kind of uh, packed and ready to go and have somebody come for them. All right, let's talk about Dwight, because Dwight was in the first book and his story is really, I think, stunning. Um, yeah. First, because he died in a really awful way. Um, yes, he he was 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 homosexual, and he thought that he was just going to have, I guess, a kind of weird experience. But instead, he was murdered um, in a rather awful way, and um, he was he uh, he died. He was naked. He would was was murdered in a ghastly way, and and discovered naked and. And he had been unashamed, stabbed. But talk about that a little bit. It was like yeah, he's a real, a real sweet soul. I've, most of my career has been in campus ministry, and Dwight was, I think, twenty-two at the time of his death. Uh, he explained that he had gotten in my line, what he called it, because I was a Catholic priest and he was Catholic, 
And there are other ways that this could have been done, but he was he was shown different options. And he said, I think I'd like to, you know, go in with this Catholic priest guy and his prayer partners. Anyway, he explained that he was a closeted gay Catholic kid, a 22 year old, and he didn't know why he was gay. How does one become that? And so on. And but he said, it, I, I didn't tell anybody, but that was true. And not only that, he said, but I also had this itch. And he was a little ashamed to even mention it. But um, he, I remember him saying something like, have you ever heard of people that enjoy receiving or, or causing pain to others during sex? That yeah, uh, sadomasochism. Yeah. And, and he said, I don't know. I don't know why I had that itch, but it was shameful to mention but I did, and I had never done anything about it until this one time I decided I'd like to explore that. And he found some um, bar or some place for that kind of encounter and was given instructions, stand at the end of the bar near this door, someone will come along, somebody will lead you into a room, wait, and somebody will join you. Well, anyway, he just did, he was 22 year old babe in the woods. and. Uh, trying to have this first experience that just seemed so so compelling and he got in this room and the person who joined him asked to asked him to undress and would he allow himself to be tied to the bed and he submitted to that and uh, i think he expected some little bit of cutting of some kind um, but instead this guy he said he brought out things that looked like curtain rods that had been sharpened to a point like a pencil and he was on top of me and he shoved these sharp things into my lungs on both sides of my chest. And I said, what are you doing? Uh, and he died. And then he said, I was so ashamed that I, he said, after I, as I was leaving the body, people started showing up and we asked what kind of people, you know, uh, but he's spirit people. And he said, you know, I was, I, I, I was, I was in a place where I was trying to be hidden in private and suddenly I was, it wasn't private at all. And it had, they known what I was really like, they'd have run me out of town on a rail. And so I ran before they could find me. So his experience of leaving the body was running to hide and he hid for a time. Uh, but then he said, I woke up and I was in this hospital room with all these nice people taking care of me. Uh, and he said some of them came in the way they do in hospitals, looking at a chart or primarily nodding at you while they look at a machine. And he said, but there was this one guy that just came to visit and he didn't do that. He just came and looked at me and talked to me and visited with me. Didn't stay very long because you shouldn't when a person is, is that ill. And he said, but I was getting stronger. And he said, I'll be back again and I'll visit again. We'll, we'll have a longer visit the next time. And he said, I got better and better until one of these times the guy came and said, you know, did you ever see a crucifix? And he said, yeah, I was a Catholic. And he said, well, I was that guy. Yeah, it was Jesus. It was Jesus who visited him. Yes, it was. And he said, you know what? Did you know that, um, that on the, in a crucifix, there's usually a little loincloth covering the privates? And he said, there was none that day. That was part of the deal. They were shaming me in addition to killing me. And they they hung me on a pole in a, on a busy street with my mom and her lady friends right there. And he said, and they stuck sharp metal things into me. And, and uh, you know, he was saying to Dwight, we kind of, <laughs> we have that in common. We both, you know, were naked and had somebody stick sharp metal stuff into us. And 
Um, anyway, <laughs> that's that's where it went. I mean, just he was such a nicest guy. He was kind of like a hospital chaplain. Uh, but he he and he said you he I remember he said you're not going to believe um, I've I've been visited by somebody you're not going to believe it and I said remember who you're talking to and he said oh that's right well it was Jesus but not the judgy one that's but not the judgy one I love that story so much <laughs> Jesus that's but the real Jesus Jesus really would do that well he did and, and he uh, did do that such a sweet story. Um, and then it's my favorite like, story in both your books that I've read. Well, a lot of people have said that. Uh, and if do you remember that Dwight Eisenhower showed up on? Yes, <laughs> that's the next thing that happened. <laughs> that he was named after Dwight Eisenhower, and he wasn't. He still wouldn't. He still was too ashamed to go to his family, and well, so he was waiting. And finally, Dwight Dwight Eisenhower showed up because he, he was named <laughs> after Dwight Eisenhower. And Dwight Eisenhower came on the line. They don't sometimes famous people come and go, and they don't need to talk. But Dwight Eisenhower, he said, look over there, this, this, he's, he's a general, and wasn't he a president? And he said, must, he must, and your name is Dwight, it must be Eisenhower. He said, yeah, it's him, and he's waving. And, uh, and, and people don't remember Dwight Eisenhower when he, was, when he was, the, was the general, was a handsome guy, and he showed up looking like the general, and basically he said, get over here. Yeah, he did. And, and then um, my partners uh, invited him to speak. He was, he, they were talking through me. And and President Eisenhower came. He was president when I was born in '56, and yeah. he said, "I remember him saying, um, I was put in charge of a lot of important things, but I was never asked to do this.'" And my prayer partner just said, "Well, uh, we're just trying to help as we can, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 we're honored that you're here with us." And he said, "Well, I wasn't a Catholic, but I knew that um, that after, <laughs> when I was when I was a general, I knew that people were naming their sons after me. And you can't possibly know them all. There's too many. But uh, he said, when I got here, uh, I learned about these Catholic saints that had people named after them, and I thought I'd like to know more about that because I, I it's you know I paid, t- paid no attention to it, but I'd like to learn about that." And he said. He learned, he said, I learned that it's not just a name, it's a relationship that yes. when that, and, and I thought, well, I want to know about that. And they said, well, fine, because there's a young man, Dwight, who's making an important passage right now, and you could jump right in and go uh, meet him. So he said, I'm new at this, but I think all you need is somebody to take you from here to there. And I'd be happy to help. So he, Oh, don't you love it? I just, you, that's my favorite story. Now, which of us is the weirder one, Roberta, you or me? I think it's a, it's a good, a good contest between a, the two of good, us. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't mind being eccentric. It just means not in the center, but the universe doesn't have to have a center. <laughs> I love that. That's true. But I do think we, we have a good contest between us, my dear. I yeah. do. Well, oh, it, you are it, certainly doing God's work. It's delightful. And 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 remember, I do lots of other kind of things, too. I'm, I'm still a practicing Catholic priest doing masses and confessions and counseling and teaching and different things. Um, but I'm, I'm still hoping that I can continue to do this kind of work the rest of my life. And if I can continue to do that in, as a Catholic priest, uh, that would be my hope. But we'll have to wait and see how that all goes. Well, there's a tremendous need for what you do, my dear, and you do it with such grace and such joy. And uh, there's there will be, uh, of course, the titles to his books will be in the, the program notes. 
And uh, Nathan's um, um, uh, web website is nathan-castle.com. That will be there too. Um, and his books are Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Crossover. And then the second book is just with a two. Um, Nathan Castle is a wonderful, wonderful human being. What do you want people to take away from our conversation today, Nathan? Well, uh, the, not only the fact that you're you're already eternal, that death is going to be a moment like being born was, you know. Um, That's right. And, but um, just in case, sometimes as people uh, either get ill or just older, sometimes they begin to uh, pull back and not initiate, not do new things uh, and can sort of live in the past. Or People even approach you and say, what did you used to do for a living? Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> I, I sometimes get people that say, uh, uh, what are you doing now that you're retired? Well, I never have retired. No. <laughs> uh, and uh, if you if you feel like you've already kind of uh, done your work, well, maybe, but there's always new things to be done. You can teach an old dog new tricks and you're, you're going to be eternal anyway. So why not just uh, find a next thing to do that you're excited about doing while you're here? And that'll give you a leg up on your afterlife. You know, you won't, nobody will have to kind of prime the pump to get you moving again because <laughs> you you never stop moving. Just always do what you love, and there's always more to do. But what you're doing, my dear, really truly is beautiful. And bless you, my dear. I just biggest possible hug to you. Well, thanks. I, I love you and love being on your show. So thanks for having me back as your guest. And maybe maybe this is maybe in the coming year I get to see you in person. That I, well, then we can do a really big hug. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I went to college in San Antonio. I have lots of friends in, in Austin and San Antonio, and I'd love to see you sometime. Oh, I would love that so much. Meanwhile, everyone, this has been this has been Roberta, Roberta Grimes. I, you know, I'm about to do a sign off, but I want to talk just for a couple of minutes and let you know who's going to be here next week. And, and to just once again, tell you that you really need to read these books because they do read like candy. This, when, anytime you have a little extra time on a weekend, just you can read one of these books and maybe a sitting and a half with just a little time for lunch. And you'll be so glad you did because these books are so entertaining and they will lift your heart because each one of them is a real person person who was stuck for a little time and then he he got to he got to he and his guide his spirit guide got to spend a few minutes with Nathan Castle and it would mean everything and brought him to the next stage in his eternal life what a beautiful experience it was for them both but we've come to the end of our time today and please never forget that you are a powerful eternal being you never began you never will end and when you get what that means wow it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, we will again, for the 16th time, be talking to Carol and Mikey Morgan. And I know they need no introduction, but again, Mikey is a genuine, genuine sixth level being who last incarnated in the 1600s. And frankly, I didn't believe it either the first time I met them. I thought Carol was you know, smoking something, but Mikey, Mikey's genuine. I've tested him six ways to Sunday. He was so worried about us that after having gotten to the sixth level, he voluntarily took in 1987, an additional lifetime that ended in 2007, just so he could speak to us through his mother in the voice of a modern 20 year old. She said, she swears to me, she never would have signed up for this, but she did. 
he's the real deal. I have tested him every possible way. He's the only person I know who knows more about the afterlife after I've spent 50 years studying it than I do. In fact, I've learned a lot from him. And now, and, and by the way, they're Catholic, yes. <laughs> and she's still a Catholic and she has studied none of this specifically. So she, she is not going to confuse anything. All she does is transfer to me what she's learned through him. And next week, they will answer again your questions. And by the way, it's too late. It's too late for you to ask questions for this time, but they're on every probably every month and a half or so. So um, do yourself a favor, listen next week and hear the questions that you people have already sent to us and then ask more questions. And next time he will answer them. Please be sure to join us next week. Give yourself that gift. And this week, our guest has been the wonderful, beautiful Father Nathan Castle. He's a Dominican priest. And today he told us why. And I would I would choose to be a Dominican priest, too, if I were doing this over again. Who would have, would have ever dreamed that a Catholic priest still under orders would be allowed to do this beautiful spirit rescue work and then to come on a radio program and podcast like Seek Reality and tell these stories about his encounters with spirits gone off track and his efforts to rescue them under the guidance from spirit and send them on our way into the afterlife. Meeting and coming to know Father Nathan actually changed my whole opinion of the Roman Catholic Church to be frank, in fact, I, I think if I were going to continue to be a practicing practicing Christian inside a church, I would continue to be a Catholic. I've given up on all the other denominations at this point. I would continue to be a Catholic, but I'm being led by the Lord to go in a different direction. These books, if you were going to read a book this weekend, I would read one of these books, Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Souls to Cross Over in Two Volumes. Give yourselves that treat. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, and The Fun of Living Together. And very soon now, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. For young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus. And you can order all these books through bookstores or on Amazon. And the adult books are available as audiobooks. If you want to talk to me about anything at all, just go to the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email, but at this point, I get so many that it can take a week or two. Just please be patient with me and make sure you give, you give me your correct email address. For now, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being and you, most of all in the whole universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.